Good morning. My name's Chad, one of the pastors here. We're in Luke's Gospel. If it's your first time with us, you haven't missed anything. What do I mean? I mean, the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you are and where your heart is today, and He knows what you need to hear to respond to Him. It's a great thing about this book that is thousands of years old and yet timeless and eternal and will never pass away, that it came from God's voice, and it time travels, and it also works with your schedule. And Jesus knows exactly where you are, where to find you. And so while you're turning this morning to Luke chapter 11, I want to show you some pictures. Um, Let me show you this first one here. Do you know what that is? That is the Finnish school in Mozambique. Amen. So somebody, some of you may be saying, what is that? A couple of years ago, we asked you to do the impossible because we were in a season of where our giving and our budget were tanking. And I was a brand new senior pastor and I had made this stupid promise thing that I was never going to talk about money. And the Lord was like, oh yeah, watch this. And so he, he made me, he forced me. What was great was not only were we in a place of struggle, we felt like God said, I know you're struggling and I know your budget's hurting, but let's give to somebody else. And so we raised through you saying yes to Jesus, which is all giving is. It's you having a conversation with the Lord. It's an act of worship, $150,000. And they started classes this week. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so very wonderful thing to be a part of. Um, Exciting news happening over there. James mentioned it, but I want to reiterate, uh, you can come here for Easter, but we are expecting lots of people because that's what happens. And so one of our thoughts was that, hey, what if we encouraged people in order to kind of make room for visitors and a lot of people, they decide, you know what? I think I might give this whole church Jesus thing another shot. And the day they come is usually Easter or Christmas. And so we try to make room for them. And so if you feel comfortable Um, or if, you know, when there's more people in here, you know, we could be saying, Hey, you got to sit in the lobby now, that kind of thing, but invite somebody to your house. It's an easy opportunity to share about your faith because you can say, Hey, come have Easter lunch with us. We're going to watch this together. We can talk about it. So simple, consider that. But if you want to come, come on. Um, finally, James also mentioned this, but upstairs, uh, Cindy Bouch and Daniel Olson, did a phenomenal job in Mark Loeffler this week of getting the prayer room ready for you. I was kind of walking around this morning early in there. It's phenomenal. It's a beautiful experience for you to walk through. And there's lots of amazing things to lean into. And one of them, which I'm excited about, is our elders prayed and asked the Lord, what are some areas of focus for us this year? And they're up there. I'll let you find them up there. But we want to pray between the tomb. And what I mean is the empty, let's go empty tomb to empty tomb next year. Resurrection to Resurrection Sunday. And let's see what happens if we sustain prayer as a body for a year. Asking the Lord, I want to see you do this. And I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I have an awkward relationship with prayer in that I know we should do it. And, but at times I'm like, yeah, but how are we really going to get it done? Okay, so sharing my stuff with you. So I want to lean in. I want to grow and I want stories. I want stories. I want to be one of the churches that says, we prayed for a year to this happen. And it did. God did it. It was amazing. Supernatural. So you should find that online. Uh, You can find the times, but I know it's open from noon to five today. Go check it out uh, to see what it's like. Spend some time there praying. 
Awesome? Awesome. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the privilege of being together this morning. Um, Lord, we want to find our hearts rooted and anchored in you, the cornerstone, Christ alone. Lord, our reality though, for many of us, some are still trying to figure out what this all means. What does it mean to be in Christ and to walk in Christ and to live in this world, which does seem increasingly hostile to those who would claim a singular soul only way to heaven, which is exactly what you do. So we need your strength this morning. We need your courage. Uh, We need you to, to come into this room by your spirit, put your hands on our shoulders this morning, put your hands on our heart, uh, make us tender. Lord, soften any places that are calloused. Open any ears that are dull of hearing. Lord, let us hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, I wanna tell you about when I graduated from college, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but if you weren't here, I was able to spend a whole summer in Amsterdam. Holland, and I worked in a Christian youth hostel. I was all that when I graduated from college. I had my stuff together. I thought I had skills, mad skills for life. I knew what I needed to know. I was a leader. I was going to get stuff done. And so I went there and I was like, I know how to do this. I know how to be this Bible study leader and work in a youth hostel, share the gospel, be like the best member on my team. I can do it. And I mentioned how we had to make breakfast, but one of the other things we had to do was work the night shift at the youth hostel, which meant trying to stay up all night long while you're kind of guarding uh, the youth hostel. It's kind of a dangerous city. Um, And one of the things we had to do too is we had to turn away latecomers. So people, there was a curfew at our youth hostel, so you couldn't come in at all hours of the night. There was a certain time, and then we had to say, no, you can't come in. It's too dangerous to keep opening the door. What that also meant is watching old movies to try to stay awake, like The Guns of Navarone. If anybody's ever seen that old one, I saw it like eight times in Amsterdam. Um, Talking with friends, we would fire up the fryer in the kitchen and make fries. And in Amsterdam, they eat them with mayonnaise. It's really gross. So I was like, where's the ketchup? Um, And we had to get ready takeaway breakfast, which didn't mean you take away breakfast. It means it's to go in Europe. And so I was like, oh, got it. Um, but one night I thought, man, I've got this. I'm, I'm all about this. I know what I'm doing. That was all turned on its head. I heard this knock at the door. It was past curfew. And so I was like, I'm going to tell whoever this is, get out. I'm in charge. I know when the curfew is. You can't come in. So I opened the door and here's this guy and he's plastered totally drunk. He's like, I'm staying here. I was like, you're too late. You can't come in. I graduated from college. Like, I mean, that's kind of how. <laughs> and so I was all tough. And then he pulled a knife on me. And I was like, <gasps> and honestly, I don't know. I, I really can't even remember everything that was happening because I know he was drunk and I know he was like holding it in front of me. And I know I was jumping back like this and pushing away. And I, somehow the Lord diffused the situation. I know I let him in. 
because I was like, no, no, I changed my mind. You can come in. <laughs> it's no big deal. And so he calmed down. He went upstairs to sleep. I sat down at the desk and I was like, <sighs> it was this wide awake. What was, I've got this. I'm doing this. I know what I'm going to do when I get home from this trip from Amsterdam. I'm going to ask Lisa to marry me. She's going to say yes. Like I was like, I have life planned out. And all of a sudden I'm standing in front of this guy who has a knife holding it in front of me. And his intent is to hurt me. Well, things changed a little bit. I sat there and I couldn't get it out of my head because what was just every day I'm doing this thing became life and death. Became, this is real, isn't it? I could have been hurt, maybe killed. It's one of the first moments that I kind of felt that. Even as a college student, I was like, this is like, the real stuff. This is the stuff I've heard about and seen in movies. But now it's happening in front of me. Jesus moves the people in this story to that place today. He gets them to a place where they feel like somebody's in front of them with a knife. And they thought everything was just going great. This whole Christianity thing, trying to figure it out was just a logic discussion and something they could debate and think about it's good or bad. Maybe I'll do this. Oh yeah, I can see the merits of following Jesus. And all of a sudden it's becoming life and death. Let me show you what I mean. Luke eleven fourteen. Now he, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. Normal day at the office for Jesus, dealing with demons. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, Ah, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, which is another word for Satan, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. If you've read with us, all you got to do is flip back in your Bible a few pages. There's been so many signs, so many things he's done, but they kept asking for another one. So the man couldn't speak. That's what everyone saw and experienced. That's the surface level Experience And as with Jesus and anything he does, there's always, here's what it looks like is happening. And then here's what's really happening underneath. And so it looks as if you could see this man and everybody's watching him. So maybe some people know him. He's like this. He's like, mm, mm. it's like, you can see his lips coming together. And he's like trying to like open his throat and loose his tongue to say something. And he can't get it out. And everybody knows that he wants to speak, but he can't. That's the surface. Also on the surface, there are people gathered around Jesus, as usual, who appear to be genuinely curious about who he is, what he's saying, what he can do. What is this all about? But under the hood, like if Jesus pops the hood, there's a guy with a knife. There are demons and devils. There are curses and conditions that can't be seen, can't be handled by those who live in the seen world. No doctors, no philosophers, nobody can deal with what Jesus is dealing with. We can only cope with them. We can ignore them. We can numb ourselves to them. We can explain them away. But Jesus goes in and grabs the demon by the throat and says, get out. Whoa. I know when you read your Bible, sometimes you don't see that. It just says, Jesus cast out a demon. It's kind of how we feel sometimes when we read it, right? But he just did battle 
He did battle. Now, Jesus always has to do is speak, but it helps me to visualize what it would mean to fight a demon. And so I picture Jesus, get out. Okay, that's what you need to picture. This is all out battle. This isn't just, oh yeah, he needed a touch from the Lord to be healed. This is, he is held captive. And when he does this, when Jesus grabs that demon, rips him out, sets the guy free, everybody goes, they are in awe. The people that believe in him, they get it. They just kind of wave after wave of worship and awe. But there are others, you know what they're doing? Just trying to weather the Jesus news cycle. That's how we do that now. That's what we do in our world. When there's something that's uncomfortable, let's say somebody gets accused of something. What's the common, you can see this like in movies, it's played out. You know it's happening in politics all the time. What do they try to do? Just ignore it. We just won't deal with it. Just write it out. Just beat the news cycle. Truth and consequences don't matter if you can control the narrative. And so if Jesus is making me feel uncomfortable, I'll just write it out so that I don't have to deal with it. Truth is governed by opinion, Jesus. Didn't you know that? Not some grandfather in the sky. What makes it worse is that we actually feed on this stuff now. We feed on relative truth. We feed on mob understanding of the world. We bend and bow to what other people think. And well, we don't know this because there's definitely always a kernel of truth in there. There's always something that's true, but sometimes do you find yourself wondering, what's the real thing? I don't know through all of the noise. The reason, because it's curated, it's tailored, it's algorithmically processed just for you and your people and your tribe. How do I know this? If you haven't seen the documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, I encourage you to watch it. Because in it, the guys who created this stuff, so one of the guys on there is the guy who invented the like buttons. Everybody know what that is? He invented the like button. And you know what you find him saying by the end of the documentary? Yeah, I don't really let my daughter go on the internet. <laughs> you made the like button. He's like, yeah, I know. And they, they explain, we made these things so that it would be like a drug where you could not live without it, where you had to keep coming back. And they actually portray this in the documentary that there's this room of people assigned to each person. And so there's like a Chad room and they're all looking at this screen and they're watching me and they're like, uh-oh, he's, he's not online today. He's not online. Hey, throw him this. No, he didn't take that. What do you got? Here, throw him this video. Ah, oh, we got him. He's on. Good. And the reason? <clears throat> it's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to keep you engaged online. They actually say they will keep you isolated to the people that are like you. If you don't believe that, try this out. Go with one of your friends. Both of you have your phones out. Open up Google. Do a search for something. The exact same phrase. You know what's going to happen? Different result. Why? Because you're different people and they know that about you and they want to keep you in your tribe. Now, why do I say this? Because the result of us trying to weather the Jesus news cycle 
is we take the way we handle online stuff, information and truth. And again, I'm not trying to say there isn't truth there. I'm just trying to say that the way it's curated and put together, it's hard to know. And so Jesus kind of fits right in to our process. He's just another video. He's another touching story that we want to share with somebody. Just another post. Because if he's another post, I can swipe past if it makes me uncomfortable. I can keep scrolling up if I don't like it. And if I do like it, I can kind of like it by clicking like. But I'm not really committed to it. He's online. For the people standing here, that's what they're doing. You're just casting out demons by the prince of demons. Doesn't make any sense, does it? It's because they're not really engaged with him. Just show us another sign, would you? We don't, we don't believe you. So imagine the crowds, instead of standing there, imagine them sitting in a cafe with their phones, which we do this. It's funny though, isn't it? Like we'll, we'll be at restaurants and stuff and you look around, everybody's like sitting at a table. It's hard to put it down. And one of them sees this video pop up and it's Jesus casting out a demon that had kept somebody mute. And all of a sudden they're speaking. Oh my goodness, like, that's awesome. In fact, share. I really like that. And then you do your searching, searching, searching. And then you go back to your page and you see. Mm, nobody liked my share. Delete. Let me try again. Share. He must be doing this with the power of demons. Hashtag nailed it. Hashtag demon slayer. And then you look again, refresh, refresh, like, 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 comment. Yeah, Jesus, show us something real. Whew. I almost didn't make it through that. My truth is realized. I feel comfortable now. My people are around me. Whew, I'm good again. Do you see that? That's what's happening. They're not really committed. The reason they approach Jesus this way is because he kind of stays out of their business. If you can keep him on your phone, if you can keep him at arm's distance, well, what's the problem with this? He won't go away. He won't go away. He can't be handled. He can't be scrolled past. You can't just decide not to like and therefore, well, it must not be true if I don't like it. Jesus is pulling back the curtain. And one of the reasons I say this is because he could have just said, oh, you can't speak? Here, I'll touch you. Now you can speak. Isn't that great? But it says he grabbed a demon, not literally, but you know what I mean. And he had to call and battle this demon, and take it out because the demon was holding this man captive. This guy needed somebody to fight for him in another world in a way that he couldn't do for himself. And I look at this and I'm like, what kind of world is this? Do you mean we live? You mean before I know the Lord, this is what my life is. This is what, this is what's really happening in our world when we're sinning and we're engaging that there's actually demons and devils and curses. And, and Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm super uncomfortable with that. I'm just going to change the subject, redirect, discredit the witnesses, perform a slot of hand, look over there. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's Satan in the garden. Did God really say, you're just casting out demons by the power of demons. The lies are ridiculous. I'm just going to stall 
Just give me, an, uh, give me another sign. I don't know. I'm not really sure. How does Jesus respond to all this posturing? Verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, he's going after their little accusation here. How will his kingdom stand? You say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And we're going to get into this a little bit because it's kind of odd. Strong man's demons, finger of God, Beelzebul, not your everyday lunch discussion right? Jesus knew their thoughts. This is a phrase that you will see repeated over and over and over in the gospels. And at a very top level application is this, who can read the minds of every human being on the planet and knows their thoughts past, present, and future? Well, only God can do that. Okay. So it's a very simple application. He must be God. But then the second thing you can think about is it's an invitation for you to surrender your life, your heart and your mind. You're like, yeah, but if he knew what was in here, he wouldn't like me. Can I give you a clue? He knows what's in there <laughs> and he loves you. That's what the text is saying. He knows their thoughts. It's like Luke is telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us again and again, by the way, this morning, he knows your thoughts. There's nothing you're hiding from him. He knows all of them. He can raise them up in an instant, like pulling the Titanic off of the ocean floor just with the snap of his fingers. And it's all sitting there. It's like, uh, I wasn't really wanting anybody to see all of that. He knows all of your thoughts. He says, let me tell you what's really going on here. As he gets into this discussion about strong men and demons and casting out and the power of God, the finger of God, what he's really saying is, let me tell you what's happening here. You're making these silly accusations against me, but this is about who wins. This is about which kingdom wins and who is in charge and who has real power and who is the strongest man here. This is kind of like the playground discussion. My daddy's stronger than your daddy. Jesus is like, yeah, my daddy made your daddy. It's who is the strongest man here. The people listening to him think they're being clever. They think they're avoiding him. They think they've scrolled past Jesus. Show us something. And we may think the same thing. You may be in that place today where you think, no, no I'm not ready to make a decision yet. Nope. Holding back here. Just traversing between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of dark. No big. And Jesus wants to make it very clear. And he says it in that last verse. There is no in-between with Jesus. You may not traverse the middle. You're either a part of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. There is no in-between. There are no fence sitters. If you think you're sitting on the fence today, you can expect an eventual shove from the spirit. He will start pushing you. 
If you came in here this morning and you weren't expecting that, I got news for you. It's coming. The Holy Spirit loves to shove people, loves to push us off of our fences that we think we're sitting on. So Jesus' first shove is every kingdom divided against itself will fall. And let me speak to something that maybe is an obvious one. He's talking about the kingdom of darkness and light, but let's talk about earthly kingdoms for a second. You will not find a more ardent patriot than right here. Okay, even though I'm too old for whatever that thing, but if they called me to defend the right to do what we do, to worship, to protect my family, I'm going. I've always been that way. I have family that served World War II, different places. And so I love this country. I love the things that God has been able to give us in our country. I also recognize the flaws. I see them. I pray the Lord will bring restoration. I pray that he will bring justice. But what do I hear Jesus saying about every kingdom, including this one? Any kingdom that is divided will fall. And if I read my Bible, do you know what it tells me about every kingdom on earth? When Jesus comes back, is there any kingdom left standing? No, not one. And so when I face whoever the leader is, whoever the president is, that if I like them, if I don't like them, if you like them, you don't like them, you don't need to ever panic if you're a part of the kingdom of God, one. But two, you need to realize, and I'll keep saying this until I'm blue in the face, Jesus will orchestrate the events of human history so that the most people will come to know him before he returns. So whatever we see happening out there, he's allowing it. Does it mean we don't press in and we don't deal with things and we don't pray for peace and we don't look for ways to bring about justice? Of course not. Of course we do those things. We pray for government officials. We lean into those things, but just easy stuff to apply from the passage. Every kingdom divided against itself will fall. We are living in a country right now that is not very united, is it? Okay, just basic stuff. Not saying one or the other. I'm just saying that's something Jesus is saying. First, shove. Second, shove. He says, you're saying I'm dismantling the kingdom of darkness the demonic power at play in this man's life by the demonic power, the leader of the demons? Why would I do that? And honestly, I hear Jesus just pointing it out. You know what he's saying here is, come on, is that all you got? You can do better. You can do better. Because it is, it's ridiculous. There's not one part of that statement that makes sense. It's the, well, you, you, that's kind of, it's that argument. Like, you know, you've lost. And it's like, I'll just say this. That's kind of what they've said. Next push from Jesus. You think Satan's strong? He's strong. Sure. Let's talk about his strength. He does have some power. He guards a house. What's a house in this story? It's a person. It's a person. And so he has some power there. And he says, this is safe. This is mine. I'm in control here until... The strongest man shows up. Who's the strongest man? Jesus. He's saying, and I'm here. And when I go in, I don't just win battles. I win the war. And I take away the armor and I take away the weapons and I dismantle everything. I even divide up all your stuff and give it away. You're not going to be able to do anything in this person's life anymore. So his final shove to the fence sitters, 
is this. And if it's you or if it's me in any area of my life with Jesus, here's what he says. Pick a side. Pick a side. You may not sit on the fence. If you're not with me, you're thinking about it and you're just in a good place and it's okay. No, if you're not with me, you're against me. That's the, those are the words of Jesus. And if you're not gathering with me, if you're not participating in the kingdom of God, the kingdom work of bringing, which is what? That other people would know Jesus Christ and his kingdom, that they would know they need salvation. That is the work of God. That is the simplest form of the gospel. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. If we're not doing that, Jesus says, then you're scattering. So it's pretty strong words. Jordan Peterson is a Canadian philosopher who has been wrestling with belief publicly. Now, if you, if you know him at all, he's a very deep thinker, fascinating to listen to. I think does an amazing job. Um, I've, I've read some of his stuff. I've watched him. He's also easy to hate for a lot of people because he's in a really interesting position and where he has presented himself for all these years is to say this. It's clear there is some level of good in a society having moral absolutes and truth and building something based on belief in a God. He actually says that even though before he would say of himself that he didn't believe in God, but he believes in the results. Does that make sense? So he's like, I look at this and I see the difference. And he studied Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Solzhenitsyn famously said after he got out of the gulag in Russia, communism happened because we forgot God. Okay, so he digs deep into that stuff. What's interesting, and I encourage you, if you want to look it up, Jordan Peterson, recently he's done some interviews. Lonnie sent it to me. Thank you, Lonnie. Um, and just it is clear he is being shoved by the Holy Spirit. You're watching a man trying to sit on the fence. And it's, he's been through a lot of pain recently. His wife has been through cancer recently. And you hear him talking. And there's this moment, he says this about Jesus. He goes, it, and he's like choking up. He's almost crying and he's trying to find his words. And he's on Zoom and he's like looking off to the side and he's kind of tears in his eyes. And he says, it seems oddly plausible. It seems possible, but it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't know what would happen to a person if they fully believed in Jesus. Man, you watch it and you're like, and you look in the comments on YouTube and people are like, get him, Lord. <laughs> like they know what's happening. They know he is being shoved by the Holy Spirit. Get off the fence, Jordan. And I watch it and I get choked up thinking about it because I'm like, oh, I recognize this. I recognize this. This is what you do, Lord. This is how you go after a heart. Pick a side. You must. Chad, this is life and death and the enemy brought a knife. Pick a side. Jesus pulls the curtain back just a little more in verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. What are you talking about, Jesus? And finding none, it says, I'm going to go back to my house, to that person from which I came. And when it goes back, it finds the house swept and put in order. You've been doing some work. Then it goes and brings seven more demons, more evil than itself. 
and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And Jesus says, have a good day. You're like, what? It's as if he's kind of saying, hey, let's talk more about demons in your life. Wouldn't that be a great conversation over lunch? You see, when you're thinking about making a decision to walk with Jesus, to give up some bad habits, to pursue a holy lifestyle or to love God, you aren't usually thinking about spirits wandering through waterless places, are you? No, you aren't thinking about the fact that maybe they were hanging out in your life in the first place. What do you mean there's demons involved in my life? How is that possible? And you for sure aren't factoring in the possibility that you may have a false start with Jesus and that they'll come back and bring seven more and it will be worse than the first. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus is saying is possible. That's for somebody who doesn't know the Lord, but this is what he's saying is possible. There is no in-between. There's no way to stay on the fence. So I listen to this and I think about, this was kind of the end of his little story. And we don't know how Jesus did, but he never said, I know that's hard to hear. And let me, let me help you with that. Sometimes he just was like, boom. I mean, he did that all the time. <laughs> saying these statements and you're like, how can you? So I just imagine somebody and Sammy and I were talking this in between the service. Like I would be the guy in the crowd that would be like, come you, you ask him, you ask him. Cause I don't want to be the one to ask him. But when somebody asks him, then I'll be like, okay, yeah. What he said. I picture somebody like being like, what can we like, I mean, can I ask a few questions about this whole demonic spirits thing in my life? What are you talking about? Seven more. Am I the only one who thinks this is just a little scary? It's just too out there, Jesus. I don't understand all this. So I think I'll press pause and walk away. Because demons, spiritual talk. I mean, I'm into Christianity when it's just being good and doing good for humanity and being kind and loving. But demons, I mean, come on. You're getting a little beyond my capabilities. But according to Jesus, that excuse is not enough to press pause or to stay where you are. You don't have to understand it completely in order to respond to the truth of his statement. So what do I mean? If you're on fire, if you're on fire, what do you need? Fire extinguisher, water, blanket. Now we can sit here and talk about what happens with fire and oxygen feeding it or some sort of accelerant. There are physics and there's all kinds of sciencey stuff going on with why something burns and why something gets put out from burning. But if you're on fire, what do you want? Spray me with the hose. I don't need to understand how oxygen and fire and all that kind of stuff works. If you're drowning and you've been trying to keep yourself afloat and you're exhausted, your body's fatigued. There's a lot of stuff going on there that you sat down with a physician. They could tell you, well, yeah, let me tell you about what happens to a body when you exert this kind of energy and you know, your body's made to take oxygen. And so if you breathe in a little water, that's going to be difficult. So imagine that conversation happening to the person who's drowning. I don't need to know how it works. I don't need to understand buoyancy or why that thing floats. And I don't float just 
give me the life preserver. Just save me. It's a little bit the same. Jesus is telling you, you need him. He's telling you there's a battle for your soul going on. I'll be the first to admit, I don't understand the spiritual world. I don't get how demonic possession and oppression and exorcism and the possible return of demons to a person who has not been inhabited by the spirit of God works. And I don't have to. You know why? Because I know the strong man. I know the strongest man and he's telling me that's how it is. And that's enough for me. Doesn't mean we can't ask questions, but that's enough for me. It's enough to respond. What about this whole thing with a house that seems to be clean and swept? And are you telling me there's a way to almost accept the Lord? Apparently there is a way to almost follow Jesus. And it can look like you're really following him. How do I know that? Well, there are other passages of scripture where you're standing before the Lord one day and these people are standing there saying, didn't we preach and prophesy and cast out demons in your name? And I'd be like, I can only say I did the first one. I don't even know about the other two, but those people stand in front of Jesus. And you know what he says to them? I don't know you. I never knew you. So there's possibility that you can almost accept the Lord. Let's say you make a decision, physical and mental. Lord, I'm going to live right. No more fill in the blank. In your own strength, with good intentions, you succeed. You make it a few days. You cut off access to pornography. You quit hanging out with a certain group of people that you know always lead you down this path. You step away from what you know is an unhealthy sexual relationship. You throw away your paraphernalia. You're going to clean things up because it's the right thing to do. Logically, I know this. Physically, I make some boundaries and I make some choices and I put some things in place. It will work for a time. That's what scripture tells us. The house will be swept, everything put in order. Looks good. You're doing great. But if we do this in our own strength, not fueled by the grace of God and his resurrection power, it can end in dead religion. In other words, you can try to live like you belong to Jesus, even do the things that a follower of Jesus would do. But if it's all in your own strength, you're trying to accomplish your own salvation, it will eventually stall out. And we see this happen. People will say, you know what? <clears throat> I tried Jesus out. Lately, they, try to, they do it with pretty pictures too. They're standing on a beach there's a mountain in the background. There's a serene lake. It's beautiful. And they say something like this. I tried out Jesus. I've decided it's not real. I've walked away. You know what I say to that? Baloney. Pressed meat. It's not prime rib. It's pressed meat. It's concocted, put together because it's not what scripture tells me. <clears throat> scripture tells me he never had your heart. You were doing the stuff, but he never had your heart. Did the grace and mercy of God allow you to start cleaning things up? Probably. Was that grace made available for you to confess your sinfulness and fully surrender your life to Jesus? I would say yes. Did you take advantage of that offer of grace? 
In the case of this guy with the seven spirits coming back, I would say no. Did not. Probably not. Ouch. And the fall was harder and more devastating than before. You went deeper into sin. It's not a fun story, is it? It's kind of scary. So what do you do with that? What would the spirit of Jesus say to us with that whole demon leaving, cleaning the house, I'm trying to live a good life. They all came back. It's, is that me? What? Uh, here's what I think he would say. Don't wait to say yes to Jesus. Don't wait. Don't sit on the fence. When you read this book, and I hope you are reading this book. If you still haven't, you can join us in the Bible in one year. But when you open it, you should hear tick, tick, tick. It's not because it's a bomb, but because it is counting down. Scripture tells us it is counting down to a day of days where Jesus will appear and he will bring with him the fulfillment of his kingdom. And what comes with him is glory and judgment. Tick, tick, tick. Don't wait. Don't miss your opportunity for the blessing of Jesus. That's what he's telling these people who are sitting there with their phones, scrolling through, trying to deal with it. He's going deep. He's pulling back the hood. He's saying, look, this is somebody here to kill you. Don't wait. Accept the full blessing of Jesus in your life. Isaiah 55 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, but I like the NIV version. And the reason is this, the first word in the NIV is ho. It's the only place in the Bible where it says, ho, exclamation point. And it's the author is trying to get your attention. And he says, come to the waters and drink, buy without money and without cost. Why spend yourself on what does not satisfy? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait, pursue him, say yes. So at this moment with that parable about demons coming back and he finishes with that sentence, which let me read it again. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Bye-bye. I think people probably would have been a bit stunned at this point. Awkward. It's that part in a room when there's the seven second lull in a conversation. You ever have that? And it's when people start. <coughs> you know that moment? You start coughing and sniffing and you can kind of hear everything in the room. And it's like, um, and there's always one. There's always one. That person who just can't stand it. And they break the awkward silence. You know who I'm talking about. It's probably you. <laughs> and so they're squirming and here, here she is, verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd just couldn't take it anymore, raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And he said, actually, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus, you're making me uncomfortable with all this demon talk. So I think I'll change the subject. You have a great mom. 
you come from good family, good stock, which is a thing, right? Especially in Jewish customs and culture. Man, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we come from the right people. This was the Pharisees' problem. We're going to get into them next time we're in Luke after Easter. This was their thing. We've got our roots. We have our heritage. That's what's getting us in. And Jesus says, that's not what's important. What's important is that you hear the word of God and the word of God is coming to you live from God right now. That's what he's saying. Listen, do what I say and don't change the subject. Don't change the subject. This is Holy Week. And this, this would have been the week that Jesus was facing the most difficult week of his life on earth. And the disciples kept trying to change the subject. These people don't want to deal with the fact that there could be a real spiritual battle going on in their lives. They're trying to change the subject. And Jesus is fixed. His face is set to go to the cross. Don't change the subject. Don't let your friends your own sense of approval by our culture or our world persuades you. Be persuaded by the word of God and the spirit of God. Jesus is absolutely calling you to get off the fence, even though there's no such thing. That's what he's saying. Realize there's a real battle going on for your soul. It's life and death. There's no in between. Don't wait to say yes. You don't have to understand everything to respond to him. Do it now. Let's pray. Lord, ah, I wish I could see your face. I wish I could hear your voice. I'd love to hear you laugh. I'd love to hear you tell a story. And I know now we see in part, we see as in a mirror dimly is what scripture tells us. But one day, one day face to face. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, we would realize the gravity of where we are in life. We would understand that this isn't just getting by and you fit into our news feed nicely, Lord. This is, there's an enemy, he's holding a knife. His desire is to steal, kill, destroy. But Lord, you are the strongest man. And Lord, when you come in and take a heart, and this has been my experience, Lord, and why when I hear these stories of deconversion or walking away, I have questions because I, I don't see that in people that I have experienced that know you. I see people that know you and they are willing no matter what because they're sealed by your spirit to walk with you unto death, Lord. So Lord, push shove this morning. Get us out of our comfort. Let us hear your voice. God, as we sing, we ask that your spirit would once again just be moving through the room and speaking to our hearts, telling us, Lord, that you love us, telling us, Lord, that you have accomplished salvation for us. We do not need to do that on our own that this is about surrender. And Lord, I think most importantly that the grace is available to say yes. Grace is available to say yes. Give us the courage to do so this morning. Amen.